Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. church. So I was thinking and uh, so we're sitting there and it, the whole pastor appreciation thing, it, it's really, it means a lot. I know I can speak for myself. Well, I was last week and then why are those lights brighter than any other week? My gosh, I'm going to go blind up here. <laughs> I looked up for one second. Um, but I want to. I just want to say something real quick. So I know I can speak for myself to say like it means a lot what you guys do, and just not just on Sundays, but just throughout the year for us. And um, there's a lot that goes on within the church. This past week, like we've been hit and bombarded, and I want to lead us to pray for the, all the pastors, and because there's three lay pastors that you guys don't get to see as much because they're behind the scenes, Brian Lynch and, and Eric Saltzgaver and Doran Rakers, and they're just a crucial part to what we do. But there's a lot that takes place, and um, even for those of you that are leading MCs, like we appreciate, because you're doing a lot of ministering and pastoring yourselves in that role. And I'm not going to tell who this text was sent to, but I sent this text to some MC leaders this week who are stepping into a lot. And, I, and so I just, I told them this, and this is the same for pastors and anyone in this church that wants to actually charge the gates of hell. It says that Satan will use everything he can against the two of you to tear you down. God is using you both. And when you get, when you hit, when your feet hit the floor in the morning, now Satan thinks, sorry for this language, oh crap, they're back at it. He's going to try to stop you, make you believe you can't handle the weight of leading, that it's not worth it, and that you're not qualified. It's all lies. God has got you praying for you both. Here's the reality. Without people like Jeff and Corey, I couldn't do what I'm getting ready to talk about here in a second. But like, for those of you who don't know, and Jeff probably told me, oh, it's not a big deal, don't talk about it. Jeff's grandma died this morning, but he's up here leading us to worship our great God. And so this week, all the pastors are getting ready to go into our elder retreat so we can plan for the next year. And I'm stealing the announcement now because we'll talk about it later to ask you guys to pray for us. But I want to ask you to pray for us now. Pray for Jeff, his family, and just pray for our pastors because there is a lot going on. And the reason why is because if we're, as a church, doing what we're called to do, when our, when our feet hit the floor in the morning, Satan is like getting nervous. He's like, oh no, they're back at it and we need to stop them. And he's moving and maneuvering to steal, kill, and destroy. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. I just ask you to join me. Pray for Jeff. Pray for our pastors. Pray for our church, our MC leaders, because they need it just as much. There should be like a MC leader appreciation month. So let me pray. God, I thank you for this church. It's your church. It's not mine. It's not Jeff's. It's not Corey's. It's, not, it's no one else's. Father, it's, it's yours. Jesus, you are the head of the church. And because of that, we trust that, God, you've got this the whole thing under control. 
whether it be chaos that we're facing, um, changing circumstances, or just hard counseling sessions, or even death in our families. So Lord, we lift up Jeff to you, his family, his parents, his, his grandpa, who's now lost a spouse. Father, we, just, we pray that you will be with them, comfort them, love them, and God, just help them to mourn well and to be with one another as they mourn. So God, we just pray for your protection over all of us. Lord, as we charge the gates of hell to advance your kingdom, God, I just pray that you protect our minds, our hearts, our souls, our bodies. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this month has been interesting for me, and it really lends to why I appreciate Corey and Jeff so much. It, um, I will end up, out of the five Sundays of October, I will only get to be here for two, last week and today. Um, it's been an interesting week or month for me. Like, it started off super busy. I got the privilege um, back in the early summer, I guess it was, of being asked if I would want to be a North American Mission Board trustee. So for those of you who don't know, we're Southern Baptist, and there's some different entities under the Southern Baptist and the North American Mission Board. They're the ones that plant churches all over North America, and then they do what's called Send Relief, which is like mission projects all over North America, doing different things, all kinds of different stuff. And so I got the privilege, and it's a great honor to get to step onto that, to that board and serve. It represents the state of Illinois amongst everyone else. And then another thing I got to do, which is really cool, is I got to go the weekend, because that was the first weekend of October. The second weekend of October, I went down to Tupelo, Mississippi, and preached at a church that partners with us. They used to partner with us as we were Collinsville Community Church before we were self-sustaining, and they would give us money so we could pay our bills. And now they, they see the value in what we're doing as a church, and they're like, we want to keep partnering with you, but not to help you just pay your budget, but to help you plant more churches all across the St. Louis region because we're bought into what you're doing and we're bought into reaching St. Louis because it's a great need for gospel-centered churches. And so I got the privilege to go down there and preach to them and cast vision. And it's just cool how God moves. I finished preaching and I mean, I, I hit them hard with like challenging this church to step up in the, in the lead. And as I was done preaching, this lady came up to me. She was a retired nurse and she handed me a check and she goes, here's a check. And it was for $2,000. She goes, just put this towards church planting. And I was like, man, this is awesome. And God's at work. He's doing something. And then I got to be here, like I said, last week and this week. And then next week, I'm going to go preach at Mike Bird's church. For those of you who don't know Mike Bird, he did the marriage retreat for us last year. And he's a church plant in North St. Louis that we've partnered with now for years. And we'll continue to partner with him for years. And the reason I share all this with you is because this is all the stuff I wanted to do like four or five years ago. And when I planted Collinsville Community Church in 2016, I was watching other guys who were just a little bit ahead of the game, and they were getting to go do all this cool stuff to advance the kingdom. They were getting to go speak at different events, and they were getting to be on different teams and lead in different ways to, to really advance church planting and missions and to build up church planters. And if I'm honest, there was a little bit of jealousy, probably, you know, that's my sinfulness of, like, seeing them, like, man, I wish I could go do X, Y, Z, whatever it is. Not for my glory. Like, really, I'm not, I don't care about the title. I don't care about that. I just, I feel God's gifted me. So, like, I want to go do this. You know, I want to be used by God. And it didn't happen. I just plugged away at planting Collinsville Community Church. 
And then the whole merge conversation comes up in September of 19, and then COVID comes around the corner, and we decided to pull the trigger on, you know, merging a church in the midst of COVID. That was fun. And so then all this stuff starts happening. Like, I get to go be a trustee and preach at churches about church planting and go preach for church planters. Here's the thing. If I would have got to do that even two years ago, Collinsville Community Church would have crumbled crumbled to the ground. There would have been no way that I could have managed the weight and responsibility of these outside things that are great, amazing things that are, that are connected to what we're doing as a church, but I couldn't have had the weight of that and shepherding and teaching and, and pastoring a church. It couldn't, there's no way. There's not enough time in the day. I would have either lost the church or lost my family, one or the other. And so I needed a support system around me, and God knew that God is so sovereign in what he does. And like in this whole merge thing, it's so obvious now because it allows the freedom for, for myself to go do things or for Corey to go do things and Jeff to go do things. And what you guys don't get to always see, and, and I want to like highlight this to you, is sometimes when you don't see myself here, or Corey here, or Jeff, or even some of our other worship leaders, most weeks they're probably somewhere else leading worship or even helping with technical stuff or, or preaching in another church. Like, God has given us such a system in place to go and do that. But in my timing, it would have all failed. It would have been horrible. But in God's timing, it's been amazing because we want to do things in life sometimes. We want them to, to happen now. Like, I see myself here. This is what I need to go and do. And it'll really mess up. And so that's where we find David at today. Uh, John Ryan, who spoke last week, he preached about how David had been waiting and waiting to be king. It had been 10, 12 years, and now we're even more advanced in that. And we're in Samuel chapter 24. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. I'm going to be all over that chapter. But what we do is we find David faced with a decision either to take matters into his own hands to get where he wants to go, or to continue to wait on God's timing. And so here's what we're going to, I'm going to read just uh, a few verses from it for you, chapter 24, verse 4 through 7, and then we will um, just dig into the whole book. It says in chapter 4, or chapter 24, verse 4, And the men of David said to him, Here's a day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give you, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it, as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe, and afterward David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said this to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed." So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. So I'm going to give you a little synopsis, but the first thing we're going to see is this in, in this text is where we are versus where we think we need to be, okay? Where we are versus where we think we need to be in life. And so let me give you a picture of what's going on. David and his men, he's got 400 or so men, they're hiding in this cave. That's their refuge from Saul and Saul's armies that are out searching for David to kill David, to get rid of him because of Saul's intimidation of David. He's, he's afraid. Like, he knows that David's going to become king, and they're hiding in there. And so Saul is out looking. He's obviously hot on the trail because he's by the cave that, that David's in. And he needs to relieve himself. 
So he goes into this cave to go to the bathroom. He does not go in deep enough to see that David's men are in there hiding, and his men are like, David, there he is. He's getting ready to take a leak. This is your chance. God's giving your enemy to him. Go kill him. And so it says that David arose. It doesn't even, that doesn't mean like he stood up. It means like he arose with intentionality to go and to harm, to kill Saul. Something triggered in his head on his way to sneak up like a ninja. And like he's like, decides not to kill him. He just cuts off the corner of his robe and his heart's convicted immediately. And so then he waits till Saul gets far enough out of the cave and he starts to say, hey, hey, Saul, it's your son, David. He's not literally a son, but it's this, this term of like endearment and relationship in that culture in that time. And he's like, you know, they have this whole banter back and forth. He's like, I could have killed you. I cut off your robe. Why do you try to kill me? This whole thing. Saul feels convicted. He's like, you do good to me and I try to do harm to you. And they go about their way. But here's the thing. What we do sometimes is we see where we're at, and we're like, no, this is not where I want to be. This is not where I think I should be. And see, for David, there was no question to whether or not he was supposed to be king. He was supposed to be king. He was anointed by Samuel. That was his God-appointed position that he was supposed to go and to do, but it needed to be in God's timing. And so David, wanting to honor God and do things God's way, you, you can't tell me that he didn't get pumped up, though, when Saul shows up. Like, he shows up, and he's like, man, I, this is it. You're right, guys. You're, go, kill him. He's pumped up, but here's the thing. When he starts to get to that spot, he's like, oh, this isn't right. Like, I'm not supposed to lay a hand on God's anointed person because Saul was still anointed by God to be king. That didn't change. God was shifting and moving to who was going to be king, but Saul was still anointed king by God. And so his heart was convicted. So here's my question to you. When you are in the tension between where you are and where you think you need to be, what path do you follow? Do you follow a path like David that exhibits patience? Now, I'm going to tell you, this is the most irony in the world that I'm preaching to you about patience. I am the least patient, patient person in this room or even anyone watching online. I have zero patience. I just am not a patient person. Like it just does not work out well for me. But here's the deal. In my impatience, I make some wrong decisions because my point of view gets skewed, and I start thinking, well, this is where I want to be, so I'm going to do this, because this is just, I don't want to wait to really hear what God has to say. Like, I can't, like, those songs, like, I'm going to wait upon the Lord. Like, I'm like, no, God, like, I'm going to move forward, and hopefully I'm in your will. (laughs) That's where I end up sometimes, and it's dangerous. But how many of you, that's your story, too, that you see your point of view, and it's just so messed up, because you're not happy with where you're at in your life. Like, David's point of view is just zeroed in on God, even though he was probably not content. The dude's living in a cave with, like, what John Ryan said last week, with 400 misfits. Like, could you imagine living in a cave? Like, you've got to go to the bathroom somewhere. What are you even eating? Where are you sleeping? There's bats. It's just nasty. No one wants to live in a cave. Like, really, like, unless you're, like, some kind of survival person, like, you're not into this. You're just not. Like, and he's there, and his point of view stays focused on what God is up to. And sometimes we will take a path 
that seems like it's right so we can get to where we want to be quicker than where God's going to have us. Sometimes we just need to rest in that season where God has us, but we, we start to we grow impatient, we, we, we grow restless, and what happens is we make impulsive decisions, and impulsive actions will result in a sacrifice of holiness and integrity. Hear that. If you make impulsive actions, if you respond as an impulse all the time, it will result in a sacrifice of your holiness and your integrity because you will do things that you regularly would not do. You'll do things that you will regret later, and then you're going to question why you did them. Well, you did them because you didn't give any thought to why you did it. You just acted immediately in the moment. Scripture tells us that David arose there in verse 4. It says that he arose and he starts moving towards him because he, he, it says that he, he arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. I don't know how far in between him and Saul he had to go, but it had to be enough distance that Saul couldn't see him when he's coming in to go to the bathroom. And so he gets there, but somewhere in that time, his mind changes his mind changes on what he's going to do. And even when he then cuts off the corner of the robe, it says that his heart is struck. Like he is convicted in that because he reacted still. Though he did not kill him, he still reacted in impulse. And some of us, we do the same thing, right? We have a fight with our spouse. We get to work the next day and someone shows us a little bit too much attention. And instead of like, blowing that off and getting back to your cubicle, your desk, your workstation, whatever, you, you flirt back because well, they don't like me anyway. They've been a jerk all week, and my week's been tough, and you know what? This person's showing me some more attention. So in your impulse, you start to flirt, and you think, my marriage isn't going anywhere. This isn't where I should be. God would want me to be happy. I'm going to tell you right now, God does not care about your happiness, Okay, straight up, he does not. He cares about your joy found in him completely. That's it. You being happy? Eh, we'll see. I, I, don't want, I mean, it's cool if you're happy. I'm not against that, but I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there, okay? So we act at impulse. We had a fight last night. We flirt today. Not, doesn't work good. Doesn't work out well. Sometimes maybe, you know, you um, had a rough day and your, your coworker, you know, he's bragging about this thing that he got and, and you're like, man, I really wish I had that. I wish I could get that. And, and so then you get home and, you, and you're going through the mail and we all get them, right? The, the numerous credit card offers at 0% or you're a, you've been approved for a $30,000 budget and you're thinking, dude, I don't have, there's no way, I'd be broke. That's what you normally think, but you're, you're mad because so-and-so has been bragging all day about whatever they got and you you want that too and so you got that credit card offer in the mail and you're impulsive like hey, you know what screw it i'm gonna go and i'm gonna order it too and now all of a sudden you've made an unwise purchase outside of your budget and you can't afford it and you're living in sin because now you can't give to the church and tithe like you're supposed to because you made an impulsive decision to buy something you didn't really need you just wanted it because you're coveting it maybe you've been single for longer than you would like to be. And I say this with all like care and respect like to singles. Like there's nothing wrong with being single. I think the church in general has done a bad job at loving singles. But don't get in a rush to say, well, I've got to go get married now because I've met someone who really meets my needs and I like them and I'm attracted to them. But they're not a believer, so I act impulsively, and I sleep with them, and that leads to marrying this non-Christian. And now either you're a husband who 
can't lead your spouse to Jesus because they don't want anything to do with Jesus or you're a wife whose husband isn't leading you to Jesus at all because they don't love Jesus and you knew this all along and what you've done is you become unevenly yoked because you weren't content with where God had you versus where you think you needed to be so you've acted impulsively and do things. See, we need to turn to God as we navigate life and the decisions that come in front of us. You're gonna face the decisions every day, small decisions. You're gonna all eat lunch somewhere when I shut up Right? And you're going to leave and you're going to be like, all right, cool. David's done talking. I can go eat lunch now. You're going to find where are we going to eat lunch at? What are we going to do after church? Those are little decisions. But then you have the big decisions in life, like spending money on large purchases or getting married, having children, where you're going to live, how you're going to serve in the church, whatever. Those are bigger decisions that you have to process. And we cannot do them impulsively because when we do, it'll lead us to hopefully conviction if you're a believer. And if you're not a believer, it's just going to lead you to just a continuing pattern of your life that's going to get you further and further away from God. But when we take it into our own hands, usually we turn to something that is wicked. But seeking God's will will keep you from the pitfalls of sin. David could have received praise and confirmation by all of Israel. No one would have judged him if he would have just went ahead and just slit Saul's throat and just moved on with his life. And he'd be like, here I am, I'm king, God anointed me back here, Samuel told me, and I just took care of business. I've never harmed him until this day. He's been trying to seek my death. He's thrown javelins at me and the whole bit, right? Like, he could have been justified by everyone. But he would have been in sin for killing God's anointed. And David, he, he stands firm in this, and he tells his people not to go in to do it. And I want you to hear this. This is really important. If he would have done that, he would have been where God eventually was going to have him, but he would have done it on his own. And it's impossible to achieve God's purpose by breaking the commands of God. You cannot say, I'm going to advance God's kingdom at all costs, whatever it takes, even if that means sinning. It is impossible to achieve the purpose of God by breaking the commands of God. That is not okay. And so here's why he felt convicted for, kicking, or for cutting that off of his rope. Deuteronomy 22, verse 12, the law says that you shall make yourself tassels on all four corners of the garment that you wear. So by David, cutting off the corner of Saul's robe was cutting off those tassels, which was breaking one of the laws that God had laid out for men to do for their clothing. So David had sinned, and now it's really causing Saul to sin because he's cut the tassels off his clothes. So they're both now in sin because of an impulsive decision. So we need to be in line with God's will. And, and, and Jeff talked about it during the, um, the call to confession of this being in line, in line with God's will. And I think there's a graphic that we can put on the screen. Jeff probably corrected it because I hand, there we go. That's way better than what I made. I hand drew it and I got in trouble last time I had a hand drawn graphic that went on the screen. But Jeff's is better. So we talked about this. There's God's word. There's God's spirit. There's God's people. When those things line up, that's God's will, okay? That's God's will because here's what you can do. Anytime that you want to go to the God's word by itself and you want to thumb through here and you want to find a scripture or two to justify your dumb, sinful decision that you're getting ready to make, you can do it. You can do it. You just don't look at what came before it. Don't do that because that's going to mess up what you want to do. I promise. Like Usually like when it says therefore, that's because before everything there, it, don't read that. Because then you're going you're gonna to realize that you're going to really screw up and be out of God's will, okay? So I'm just giving you some advice on how to sin and not, not feel too convicted, right? 
I'm joking. I hope you all get that. <laughs> I don't want you to do this. But I'm saying, you could go read God's word and be like, oh, yeah, that's justified. I can do that. And it's not. And then you could, you know, sometimes you're feeling, can we leave that graphic up, please? Thank you. Um, so sometimes, though, you're feeling like maybe God's spirit's telling me to do something. It's probably not God's spirit. It's probably you following your wicked heart like I do. Okay, so like we don't follow our hearts. That's a, that's, that's a really dumb advice that the world gives us. Just follow your heart. Just do what's in your gut. No, what's in my gut is nasty food that I shouldn't have ate, and my heart is wicked and full of cholesterol. So don't follow your heart, right? Like, I'm joking. <laughs> Just like, I'm healthy. My gut's fine. Um, next is God's people. Here's the deal. You want to surround yourself with people who are going to tell you what you want to hear? You can do that all day long. I I got so many non-Christian friends. I could go talk to them and tell them all my woes and aches and wants and desires. And like, well, then go for it, dude. Do it. Just go. That'd be great. You should do it. Yeah. Go. Get divorced. Do whatever you want. Like, that, like for real. You want, I guarantee you all have friends. And here's the problem. Some of you all in this room, you don't know God's word well enough. And you don't follow God's spirit enough that you should even be giving advice to anyone. And so some of us in this room, some of us in this church, because I've had it happen before, where someone's going through marital trouble and someone who's a believer would say, well, you should just divorce them. I'm like, they don't have a biblical grounds for divorce. Why are you saying that? Because they weren't going to God's word and they weren't listening to God's spirit. So God's people are telling the wrong thing. Those three things have to line up. And David knew that. He knew. Like, he knew God's word. He knew Deuteronomy there that he's not supposed to cut that off. He knew he wasn't supposed to touch Lord's, the, the Lord's anointed. God's spirit obviously convicted him before he got to Saul, because that's all he did was cut that off. But God's people were off base because they were telling him the wrong thing. But he had enough common sense to say they were doing the wrong thing. And so he went to God's will. They wanted him to kill him. They saw this as a God-ordained moment, but it wasn't. It wasn't. Because here's, here's the deal. Back in chapter 23 of 1 Samuel, verse 4, this is what happens. Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Kilia, and I will give the Philistines into your hand. Do you hear what I just said? The Lord said, I will give the Philistines into your hand. The Philistines were David's enemy. The men here said, back in this passage, the Lord said, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand. No, he didn't. He said he would give the Philistines into David's hand. So what happens here is you have men who should know God's word are taking it out of context and telling a lie to David. Where's that happened before? I think we've seen this happen, right? This has happened before. The garden you have Satan come up as a serpent, and he, and he tells Eve, like, well, he didn't say it like that. And so scripture, words of God get twisted, and, and so she eats of the fruit, and, and here we all are now, right? In our sinful, sinful state that we get to live in. We see Satan, again, twisting God's word, and uh, Jesus being in the, in the wilderness, and telling him to do different things that he's not supposed to do. But then we see it in the church, like I just described, with, with someone, you know, going and saying, like, oh, go ahead and get divorced. Or, no, you can do that. That'll be okay. That's permissible. And it's not God's word. It doesn't line up. Church, hear me. We are only going to get into more and more decay of our culture 
If we don't know God's word, if we're not seeking God's spirit, we will not do God's will because we'll be people who are all over the place telling people to go do whatever they want. And it's going to get even messier. It's not going to get better. Like, uh, just sorry if you were hoping it was. I don't think it will. Like, it's going to get rough. And we need to know we can't be approving people to go and live in sin. So we need to, like, hold true to the biblical convictions and call people to do what God's actually called them to do. Instead of like always like finding little ways to skirt around it and to, to make exceptions and be like, well, you know, like they've been single so, for so long. So why can't they go marry the unbeliever? Because like God's word said not to. Like God's got something better for you. And hear me, if he calls you to be single your whole life, I know that would be hard. I, I'm not like belittling that. But it's God's calling on your life. Like Paul writes about it. It's like not a bad thing. Like he says, this is where God's called me to go. And so if people's advice isn't lining up with scripture, then you need to just split, get away from them, get out of there because they're going to lead you astray. But for us, we have to go to the Holy Spirit. Like we, we, David, Saul, none of these guys, even though they were anointed by the Spirit, they did not have the Spirit living in them like us. And we have the Spirit living inside of us, a great counselor who is going to guide us in what we do. But too many of us, we don't follow God's will. We follow our hearts. That is really some of the worst advice in the world is follow your heart. Do what's in your heart. No, we can't. My heart, I know my heart. I'm thankful that God saved me and he has sanctified me because there's still pieces of my heart. I'm like, man, like that needs to go because it is messed up. Like I don't want to follow my heart. So we have to come to terms with this, that our desires, David's desire to be king, our circumstances, Saul's right there, and our hearts are all horrible guides for knowing God's will. Our desires, our circumstances, and our hearts are bad guides. We don't follow them. But we rest in God knowing that he will not leave us. He will not leave us. So I want you to hear this. Find rest in knowing God has not forgotten you. Find rest in that. He has not forgotten you. If anyone would have ever felt forgotten, it was David. He had to feel forgotten sometimes. I would have, six months in, I would have been done. I would have been like, God, when do I get to go be king? Like, I just can't take this. I want a regular bed. I'm tired of running from Saul. Like, I would have just been over it right away. But he's waiting and waiting and waiting, and he could feel like God's forgotten him. But he, he rests in God, I want, I'm going to turn to Psalm 57. I should have had this on the screen for you guys. My bad on doing that. Um, it's interesting. He, David writes this psalm hiding in the cave. He, he says this. He says, be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in your soul takes refuge. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by, I cry out to the, most, to the God most high, to the God who fulfills his purpose for me. Do you hear that? Like he knows, he's writing this. He says, I cry out to the God most high, to the God who fulfills his purpose for me. He knows that God had not forgotten him. He's resting in that. And back in that, in that chapter there in verse 24, like, he didn't want to sin. He didn't want to, to do what was wrong, but he, he acted a little bit rash and cut off the corner of, that, of his robe. But in verse 11 of this psalm, 
He, he wants God to be exhaust, exalted. He doesn't want it to be about him. And so he also, what's interesting is, is David knew that vengeance was not of his. Like he could have wanted to like, you know what? I'm gonna take this in my own hands. Vengeance is of the Lord. Some of you have been wronged. And you're thinking, when will that person get what's coming due to them? When will justice be administered? One day it will. We need to wait on the Lord. Stop taking things in your own hands and get even to, to say that one last comment so you can win the argument. That's not what it's about. Some of us want to win arguments with our spouse. Like God will work it all out. Just, just wait. Just rest in that. If you're in God's will, God will work it out. Just rest in that. And so in this psalm, it's interesting. Like I said, in verse 3, he, he says this. He goes, he will sin from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. He's talking about Saul. Like he knows, he knows he's not been forgotten, that God is going to do something, that he's going to send from heaven. In verse five, he said, David writes this, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Again, he's more worried about God's glory, God's kingdom, than him stepping in to being the king of Israel. And then verse 57, 7 in Psalm, he says, My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. His heart was satisfied in the Lord. Are you satisfied in where you're at right now? Can you just rest and know God's not forgotten you? See, what happens is when we don't believe those things, disbelief is what drives all sin. Martin Luther said, all sin begins with disbelief. I don't think that could be more true, that our sin begins because we don't believe something about God's goodness and his sovereignness. But I want you to hear me. Like, right now, you might feel forgotten. You might feel forgotten in your singleness. You might feel forgotten in your, in your sickness. Some of you are dealing with ongoing medical things, and, and some of you feel forgotten in hard relationships, some of you feel forgotten financial hardships. You're doing all the right things. You're trying to budget. You're trying to spend your money wisely, and yet things just don't ever add up, and you feel forgotten by God. He has not forgotten you. You want to know why? Because Jesus was forgotten and forsaken for you. He went to the cross, and he was forgotten and forsaken for you by his Father. So you never have to be in that spot. He's taken it all on. And here's the crazy thing. When, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, Jesus waited thousands of years, at least 4,000 years before he was even born of a virgin. Okay, so he waited to come and save his people. And then he has to wait 33 years in the form of a human before he can even go and do what he was called to go and do in God's will to fulfill the Father's call on his earthly life to die on the cross for us. And now he's waited at least 2,000 years before he's even returned. And man, I, I hope he comes back soon. But Matthew 24, 14 says that he's not returning until the whole world has heard this gospel preached. And so guess what? There's like 7,000 unreached people groups. So I don't think he's returning tomorrow. Like he's waiting. He's like that groom who's standing there looking down the aisle, just waiting, just yearning for his bride to come down the aisle to him. But it's kind of reversed. We're his bride. We're here waiting, the church. And we're waiting for our groom to return, to come for us. And so whatever you're waiting on, know that Jesus is waiting for you. He's waiting right there. He's not left you where you're at. And one day he's waiting to have this amazing wedding banquet with you, with me. A great feast and a new heaven, a new earth, 
We're going to get to dine with our groom, Jesus. And so whatever you're waiting on, know that he's got it. He's got this. He's going to return one day. Until then, what we need to do is we need to love people, love God, and make disciples. We should be great commandment people and great commission people. That's what we need to be as we just wait upon him and be patient, not to try to take things out of God's hands. So we're going to respond. Um, we're going to respond to this, that God waited years, Jesus waited years to come, thousands of years to come in and die for us. And now he's waiting to consummate that marriage with that great feast when he returns. He's waiting, so we wait upon him. So I'm going to read a text, a different text than we normally read for communion, and then we're going to respond. And this is Jesus in Luke 22 talking, and he, Jesus, said to them, I have earnestly desired, so he's just desired, he's been waiting for this, to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took a cup And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. Guys, as we wait upon Jesus, we get to take communion now, just in anticipation of a better feast, a better meal that we're going to have with him. But if you're here today and you're suffering, you're going through something, you feel like you've been forgotten, just give that over to the Lord now. Take a minute before you just take communion. If you're here and you're not a believer, you've never put your faith in God, you do feel forgotten because no one's ever cared about you, no one's ever been for you, Jesus came to earth for you. He died on the cross for you. He rose from death for you so you could have a relationship and not feel forgotten. And so put your faith in Jesus today if you never have. Let me pray. God, help us to not take matters in our own hands. Let us stay steadfast to your will, to what you've called us to do. And, and God, I just I pray for those in this room and those watching online that they feel forgotten. They feel like no one cares. God, let them know that you care. Just come and just put your spirit upon them. They can feel rest in you. They can feel trust in you. And God, when we make those decisions in life, help us just to steer along with where you would have us to go. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.